Hi, my name is Wendy Weber. And my name is Sydney Bowie. Welcome to Nobody Chooses Homelessness. A podcast dedicated to changing the cultural narratives about homelessness and shedding light on how we can mobilize to be part of the solution. In this podcast, we'll talk to everyday people, experts, entrepreneurs, and activists who are helping their unhoused neighbors find their way home again. We work for City Relief, a nonprofit organization dedicated to serving people facing extreme poverty and homelessness. City Relief shows up weekly as a mobile outreach offering people free meals, supplies, and connection to resources for housing, employment, and health care. More importantly, we offer people friendship, community, and belonging. We both have years of experience working systemically and on the ground to end homelessness. We believe that in order to end homelessness, it's going to take a holistic approach with people from all walks of life helping their neighbors in need. Josiah Haken has dedicated his life to helping the unhoused community in New York City and beyond. He is the Chief Executive Officer of City Relief, a nonprofit organization that is making a real difference in the lives of those experiencing homelessness. Josiah has a unique perspective on urban poverty and homelessness. Having grown up as the son of missionaries in Cameroon and working on the streets of New York City since 2010, he believes our homeless neighbors deserve more than just our leftovers, and his work at City Relief is a testament to this philosophy. Josiah is a widely respected expert on how to engage with the unhoused, and he leads workshops with many of New York City's major organizations that deal with homelessness. He is also one of the leading strategists for Don't Walk By, the largest annual faith-based community outreach. He is the author of a book called Neighbors With No Doors that addresses the misconceptions people have about homelessness. We are excited to dive into this conversation with Josiah. Well, good morning, Josiah. We are so glad to have you back. It is so good to be with you guys this morning. Well, I would love to jump right in because it's been a while since we talked to you. And I would love to hear your perspective as CEO on the State of the Union of City Relief over the last year. Yeah, City Relief is still here. For those who are wondering, we are uh, operating and we are in the streets and we're trying to help connect our friends uh, to resources and and hope. And a year uh, now that I've been in the CEO seat just about has been uh, an adventure. And our team has been forced to deal with a lot of transition, both internally and externally. Um, so I, I would say that I am just blown away every day by the resiliency of our team, the courage and the, and the strength that it takes to keep showing up and um, keep serving uh, a population of folks in New York City and New Jersey that are struggling and in crisis mode um, because of a lot of external factors uh, in a lot of cases. Uh, so for example, I, I would argue that 2022 was probably the most difficult year that we've had um, in terms of helping people in the street and and because of the, the, the issues that have compounded um, over the last three years, ultimately. So COVID-19 hit in, in 2020 and our team responded and we kept showing up and we kept serving, but there was a lot of um, ongoing issues. So 2021 came around and a lot of the donations that came in 2020 disappeared in 2021, which made it Carter for organizations like ours to kind of respond uh, proportionately because the economic impact of 2020 and the pandemic continue to to resonate and continue to to, to hurt people. Um, for example, uh, I met a guy last week who was working for about 20 years as a professional chef, has a chef's uniforms, his own set of cooking knives, the works, um, every ID you might need to get a job. And um, unfortunately, he hasn't been able to find anything. 
um, since the pandemic because he lost his his job and, and hasn't recovered. So he's in a shelter now and looking for work. All his things are in storage. And that's just one person who is uh, was gainfully employed, functional, housed, and doing okay uh, up until 2020. And now in 2022 is still trying to find his feet. I've also met a bunch of people in the street recently who I, I helped back when I was an outreach leader five, six, seven years ago. Um, who were able to make progress, were able to get off the street, get jobs and, and find their way. But now because of the closures of the businesses they worked in or what have you, they're, um, they're back in the street. And that's really disheartening. And that's really challenging. And so I would say as an organization, we are, uh, we are standing. Uh, we, are, we, we may be shaky a little bit at times, but we are standing. And we are determined to continue to reach out and, and meet the needs and connect with our friends in the street and, and offer them hope and the dignity of a, of a hot meal and a place to, to talk and share their lives. And then hopefully um, the opportunity to connect to resources that will transform their lives and improve their lives ultimately. So I'm excited and very optimistic about where we are as an organization, but I also know that we are, um, the storm is not past and we are, uh, we have a lot of work to do. And uh, I would argue that our work has never been more necessary than it is right now. So Josiah, you spoke to uh, how uh, kind of the economic impact of, of COVID, what it has done and how it's continued to impact the, the work that we do. How do you feel the current social or political landscape uh, is impacting city relief and, and how we're able to, to, to provide the services we provide? Yeah, we are, we are continuing to operate in a world that is more and more divided. Which which makes things harder, candidly. I mean, the 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 we we can't separate ourselves from the context that we are operating in, um, and so anytime you have division along, um, you know, political lines or um, religious lines or racial lines, it's it leads to uh, points of stress and um, anxiety, and so. That impacts the people we serve. It impacts us. It impacts our volunteers. Impacts our donors. So I, I would say the climate we're in is is definitely one of those those realities that we are all adapting to and trying to figure out what it means. Um, so as an organization, we are determined to continue to meet the needs of the people that we serve. To continue to show up and offer them the dignity and the hope that all of us would want for our, ourselves and our family members. I mean, it really comes down to loving your neighbor as yourself. That's really the bottom line. Um, we, are, we are called to do that in, in whatever season we happen to find ourselves in. And it hasn't been a challenging season. All, again, all the division, um, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of fear out there. And again, fear just stokes this response of stress and stress makes people do things they wouldn't normally do crime is up, violent crime is up since the pandemic. And the people who are the, almost often the victims of, of that kind of crime are often poor folks, people who are living in impoverished areas and who are struggling to make ends meet. And so they, there's a direct line between um, the work that we do and the impact of uh, the, the environment that we're in. So as an organization, I mean, we, we really feel strongly that we are called to demonstrate the the love of Jesus, both to the people we serve and the people we serve with. And, and that starts by us 
practicing what we preach uh, and and doing what we feel called to do. So it's it's a very challenging season, though. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like we all we all feel it. Again, I'm not saying anything anyone listening doesn't know. Um, it's an, it, there are so many changes, so many challenges uh, that are happening all at once, all around us. And so we're trying to find our way through the dark. But we understand that we we serve a God who is light, and so we are trying to fix our eyes um, on that light, and we are trying to pursue. Uh, what we are called to do in the season, in the midst of of a lot of chaos. So, yeah, it's a challenge, but we're we're still we're still making it happen. At City Relief, we aren't the only ones in the business of helping people. This podcast is brought to you by our longtime supporters and friends at Buttafuoco and Associates. They are dedicated to helping people rebuild their lives after a serious injury. They are a national injury law firm that has won over 500 million in verdicts and settlements for people struggling to overcome medical malpractice, construction accidents, auto accidents, injuries, wrongful death, and workers' compensation. Their team of personal injury attorneys has a genuine passion for seeking justice, and they understand the hardships that come with debilitating injuries that change the course of someone's life. If you or a loved one has experienced a serious injury, our friends at Buttafuoco and Associates will take care of you. Contact them at 1-800-NOWHURT.COM or 1-800-669-4878. Right, so Josiah, you have been at City Relief for nearly 13 years now. You've seen a lot, a lot of change and growth and the trajectory. Now you've been the CEO for a year. So let's look forward. What is your vision? How do you hope to be serving people three to five Five years from now, what's what's going on in 2027? I believe that we in 2027 we're going to be more accessible to more people. Meaning, one of the one of the biggest challenges that that folks uh, have when they fall into crisis, when they you know get evicted from their apartment or they break up with their spouse and they end up being forced to sleep outside or they lose a job, and um, there's usually that period of time where they don't people don't know. What to do? Um, I'm thinking of my friend Wayne, um, who was interviewed in, in season one of this podcast, and how he had that altercation with his spouse, and then ended up in the streets uh, for a pretty long period of time because he didn't know about the homeless services that were available to him. He didn't know about the resources because people don't really think about homelessness until they're experiencing it or very close to it, proximate to it in some way. And so, I believe in 2027. Uh, City Relief is going to be known as a go-to provider for people who, when they meet someone who is in crisis or when they experience crisis themselves, will be able to access us and know to reach out to us uh, so that we can help them navigate that period of crisis and make it as short as possible. Um, Because the truth is, the longer someone stays in in homelessness, the longer it takes for someone to get out of homelessness, the harder it is to get out. And so I believe we have an obligation as an organization to try to be as available and as accessible to people in crisis as possible. So what I'm envisioning is like if that that may look like us going onto uh, someone going onto the subway and seeing an advertisement for City Relief and a number they can call where they can reach one of our volunteers, our caseworkers, and we can connect them to an outreach location that's closer to them than any than another location perhaps or that means that maybe we're have we have a uh, a drop-in location where we're maybe sharing space with a, a community of faith or, or a shelter provider where someone can access our team 
by just going to a location that they might already know about, or they, they may walk by on, on their way to work. Um, so ultimately, I believe we have to expand our proximity uh, to people in, in New York and New Jersey uh, specifically so that we can be available to them. Um, and so that, again, when someone falls in the crisis, they know that there's someone they can call. Um, and it's not just like this automated number where you call, you know, like a 211 or a 311 and you get prompts and this whole process, but they can actually talk to somebody and, and say, hey, this is, you know, this is what I'm going through. What, what, what can I do? What are my options? And so that's one area where I believe in, in five years uh, we can really make a difference in, in addressing homelessness uh, as, a, as quickly uh, as possible as by being more accessible than we are now. And that's going to take a lot of work to get there. We're, we're, we're not close to that yet. The other thing in five years that I think City Relief will be doing uh, is reaching out to organizations and direct service providers around the country um, who are uh, helping the homeless community where they are. And we can share resources and we can share ideas and we can share uh, best practices um, so that we can help the folks that we serve in our communities better and they can help and serve the folks in their communities better. Uh, because homelessness is a national crisis. It's, it's, it's growing across the country. Um, and so we really have an obligation to um, improve the connectivity between organizations that serve the homeless uh, around the country. And I, one of the special things about City Relief that I've seen is that um, over the 13 years is, is people come to City Relief oftentimes just because they have a heartbeat or a call to this work. Um, they work with us for several years and then they ultimately end up serving in the same sort of um, area in a different area. So there's lots of people uh, I think of uh, in, in Texas, in Dallas, Texas, there's an organization called Metro Relief that's um, a direct result of a, of, a, of a guy named Austin who was my boss when I started and now he started his own uh, mobile outreach program to people experiencing homelessness in, in Dallas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Maui Rescue Mission in Hawaii is a mobile shower program that uh, helps the homeless in, in, in Hawaii. And, and Scott Hansen is doing an incredible job there. And he is the executive director. And he was an outreach leader at City Relief uh, for a couple of years. And I could go on and on and list all these organizations that are now being led or at least being influenced by people who worked with us. And so I see an opportunity for City Relief uh, in the next five years to really start cultivating um, leaders and, and leveraging our position and our experience to mobilize and empower uh, people who are called to lead uh, and to work in this space, maybe not even in New York, but maybe it starts with us and then moves on. So there's a couple different ways that I, I see us uh, really positioning ourselves to be impactful um, on a macro level uh, to address homelessness. And then obviously stuff like this podcast. I mean, we want to help people rethink the issue of homelessness and you know, there's there's folks that are currently working a nine to five who maybe are listening to this on their way to work and they're trying to think about what can I do? And so there's ways that we as an organization can leverage our experiences and our voice um, in addition to direct service, in addition to leadership training um, to also just shift the narrative about homelessness. So hopefully we can raise up advocates all over the country who will speak up um, when homelessness uh, is growing and when issues become um, a real problem that need to be dealt with. Hopefully, there are people sitting in those rooms, uh, those community boards, those uh, you know, those those public forums, uh, who have listened to our podcast and have a sense of of compassion and and dignity. So when someone tries to pass a ridiculous law, 
that criminalizes or victimizes someone just for being poor. Um, hopefully there's somebody in the room who will speak up and be like, hey, I, I don't think that's the way it is. And I don't think this is right. Um, and then hopefully our podcast and our voice uh, as an organization can be uh, a contributing factor to people speaking up on behalf of those who often are dismissed and ignored. So you um, mentioned our being able as City Relief to kind of spread out um, and increase our impact. I came on right around the time, I think, when we were or right after we had changed from New York City Relief to City Relief, right? Filling this this understanding of not just being in New York, New Jersey, but this idea of being able to spread out and impact, um, as you were saying, uh, cities around the, around the nation. Um, do you feel like there is something unique about the way we approach the way we serve um, those who are struggling with homelessness, like something unique about how we operate as city relief that can be a benefit to other locations and how they they serve their communities? I do. Um, so this this starts with in my head with the the people that we serve, right? Like I, I think about from the standpoint of what is it that they are experiencing? Um, if, if we polled them, if we asked them and surveyed them, which we have uh, as an organization, we've done the, the work of surveying our guests and getting their feedback. If we did that across all the organizations that serve the homeless community in the country and got the response from those folks about the services they're receiving, I hope that they would share in that feedback that City Relief is different in how we approach them and how we approach uh, helping them. So, for example, I think one of the things that makes us very unique is that we are a pop-up model, which means that we can adapt to whatever container we happen to find ourselves in. So, for example, we can set up on a sidewalk at a park with one of our buses and we can just meet people where they are right there, or we can go inside of a shelter and we can like help an organization that's distributing clothes and we can actually adapt their clothing distribution to our model of engagement. Um, so our, our flexibility and our ability to adapt to whatever container presents itself, I think is a unique function um, of what we do. Now, the fact is we also don't just provide a meal and socks and essentials for, for supplies for today which again, a lot of organizations do. I know of several in New York that go out and they feed people uh, from a van or they give out clothes from a van at different locations. Um, and I think what makes us distinct is that we actually take caseworkers and care coordinators and outreach staff who are trained, like yourself, Sydney, who are trained to engage with folks, not just on a transactional basis, but as an advocate and as, a, as an ally. Um, and we can intentionally reach out to people and offer services and connections to resources right there on the street. Um, again, I know there are outreach teams that do that in New York and around the country, but oftentimes those outreach teams do not offer felt need items. They don't offer clothing. They don't offer uh, a meal or, or toiletries. They're just offering that advocacy or that connection or that care coordination. And so I think what makes us unique is that we have found a way to sort of do a both and approach where we say, we're going to give you a meal. We're going to give you a pair of socks or uh, a toiletry bag. But we also want to know how we can help you get connected to services. We want to also know how we can advocate for you. And then the other thing that I think makes us extremely unique is that we bring other organizations along with us. 
Um, so, for example, we have uh, Nilak, who, uh, you know, Deb Berkman is someone who's been on this podcast and is one of the most knowledgeable people about homelessness in, pro- honestly, probably the country. I mean, really, she probably is one of the most knowledgeable people in the country around homelessness. And she uses her magical legal skills to uh, get people inside who would otherwise be outside. And so we, by bringing her along and inviting her and NILAG, her organization, to partner with us on site at our pop-up locations, we can actually create uh, sort of a one-stop shop for our guests in a pop-up manner. So um, again, I think there are great organizations that are doing incredible things, but they're doing them in, in a different way and they're doing them in a more siloed way in a lot of, in a lot of cases. What makes City Relief incredibly distinct and incredibly unique is that we are able to go to where the people are already. We're able to meet their needs with something that helps us build credibility with those folks. And we're able to bring other resources along with us so that they're not just getting the help from our staff, but they're also accessing the help from other staffs um, of direct service providers in the area. And so to me, that model is incredibly unique. And I think it's scalable and I think it's something that could spread and could be utilized in other places. So, yeah, I think we do have something to offer that's that's unique uh, around the country. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've said that something unique about City Relief is that we are very interested in treating people with dignity, um, building those trusting relationships um, and walking with people. And of course, in your long tenure at City Relief, you have walked with many people and you have many stories of individuals um, And in your book, Neighbors with No Doors, there's just a whole treasure trove of stories there. But I would like to know, uh, in this past year, do you have a story of someone whose journey really encouraged you? Like you said, there's so many stories. I have learned in in my time working in this this area that um, finding a way to celebrate victories that, that may be small is the key to being able to last uh, is the key to, to not burning out. Um, so I, I do see victories in a lot of places that maybe other people don't see a lot of victories. Um, but one person that comes to mind is, is our, uh, is our intern Ryan. Um, Ryan is uh, a guy who, um, joined our team. I, I went to a Yankees game. I got invited to a Yankees game by one of our donors. Um, and I said, Hey, would it be okay if I invited some, some friends to come with? And he's like, absolutely, invite anybody you want. So I invited um, another gentleman named named Brian, which is confusing because Brian and Ryan, but I invited Brian uh, to come to this Yankees game. And Brian's like, hey, there's this new guy in my shelter. He's, you know, trying to figure out how to, you know, navigate the city and, and get get where he needs to go. Can I bring him to the game? And I was like, absolutely. I'm not paying for the tickets. Like, sure. Um, so we invited Ryan and, and Ryan and I ended up just chatting like during the game. It was a terrible game. The Yankees got smoked. Um, but the Ryan, we talked about his life. He's, he's in his twenties, um, grew up in a shelter until he, uh, with his family and then ultimately got a place to live, but then had, uh, some family trauma and family issues that led him to, to be forced to leave. And so, ended up back in the shelter as an adult and um, just sort of stuck again, not really knowing how to move forward. Um, and we invited him to come be part of our uh, VIP program, which is our, our the VitaPod internship program that um, is allows us to uh, 
give folks that want to serve alongside of us and volunteer with us while they're experiencing homelessness um, an opportunity to do that. And so Ryan joined that and signed up and he's been showing up every day. Like he serves at all of our outreaches. He is now a leader. He is someone who uh, is, is explaining and training the, how we do things to other people. He is uh, just growing. He's like asking questions about the Bible. He's asking questions about uh, God. He's uh, just very interested in, in learning, you know, where, where his place in the world is. And um, so we've just built real, such a great relationship and, and we, we chat all the time. And I, I've actually, I actually introduced him to the CEO of Vitapod, the company that sponsors the, the, the program. Um, and he, he, we left that meeting and Ryan was just so energized and so excited. He just got a picture of what life maybe could look like, um, with a different, uh, set of different set of circumstances. And so Ryan is somebody who I am just so excited to see what 2023 brings because 2022 was a big year for him. And, um, yeah, he's, the sky's the limit for this guy, man. He's so compassionate. He's so smart. Um, I'm hoping he'll, he'll be spending more time with us, helping us actually make the soup and clean up afterwards and, uh, find a way to get more plugged into our team in the, in the coming year. But uh, Ryan definitely encourages me as I think about 2022. City Relief is a nonprofit dedicated to connecting people who are experiencing homelessness and poverty to food, clothing, and vital resources they need to survive. We show up week after week on New York City and New Jersey streets, regardless of the weather, providing meals and community to those who feel forgotten. We can only do this because of the generosity of everyday people like you who want to see a world where our homeless neighbors are cared for. To find out how you can give or volunteer and make a real impact in homelessness, click the link in the description of this episode. Yeah, I just have to co-sign on that because Ryan is amazing. There is something about being able to have, I've, as an outreach leader, trying to figure out all the different components and things and all the stuff that has to get planned you know, during the day and being like, okay, well, the kitchen needs to get set up. Who? Oh, Ryan's coming. He can knock that out. Well, who's actually going to train? The, oh, Ryan can do it. He can train. So he's been, he's been such a help. So amazing. And I think that even just kind of speaks to another kind of unique thing about how we serve and the VIP program that we have allowing and, and seeking for our friends to come in and serve alongside of us and be a part of what we do um, is beautiful. Speaking uh, again to the, the partnerships that we have, one of the other things about, that's awesome about being on, on site and having someone come in and request a resource and say, I'm trying to get into safe haven, I'm trying to get help with Medicaid, I'm trying to get help with this and that. And not having to say, okay, well, here's a referral and calling, you'll get there. But like, oh, yeah, I've got NILAG right here or I've got FACES right here. You're looking for a job I can connect you with then. Um, it makes such a big difference. Um, and even if it's sending them, you know, having them come out to another another location, okay, we don't have somebody here today, but, you know, 14th Street, we're going to have this organization and they come and they're alongside of us. And so there's that consistency that's being built and it's beautiful. Do you have kind of on your mind, on your heart, different organizations and different partnerships that you're looking forward to um, having people or seeking for people to join us coming in this next year? One of the organizations that we've already partnered with to some extent, um, but I hope to build a deeper partnership with is, is Shower Power. Um, they're a, a program that does mobile showers for people um, who don't have a, access to a bathroom or a place to, to wash up. And um, we partnered with them uh, in, the, in the past couple of years. They have a great team. 
but they have a new executive director who happens to be a very close personal friend of mine. So uh, that, that never hurts. Uh, when it comes to collaboration, relationships uh, do matter and they do, uh, they do help. So excited to see what could be uh, with Shower Power in, in the future. Shout out to my friend Richard Vernon. Um, I'm also always on the lookout for uh, resources that I think can expedite um, the bureaucracy candidly. So like finding resources that can help uh, with mental health services, for example. Right now, mental health is a, is a real issue in, well, in the country. It's, it's, it's a huge thing. Um, it's, people are struggling. Like I said, we're, we're all recovering from the pandemic. We are not recovered. Like it was, it was traumatic. It was a collective trauma. And all of us are sort of trying to figure out how to, to find our, uh, our way. And for homeless folks, it's particularly challenging. Um, so mental health is something that we all need and we all need to, to, to get help with. And um, unfortunately for the homeless community, accessing a psychiatrist or a therapist is, is not easy. It's not an easy thing. Um, I met a guy uh, at one point during the last year who um, had separated from his psychiatrist after, during the pandemic and, and ended up needing get, get, lost his prescription for his psych meds and started hearing voices again for the first time in 20 years because he had been medicated and he had been getting treatment. And then the only option for him was like a, a psychiatrist that he could see maybe two months later. So he had to kind of just suffer for two months unnecessarily because he just couldn't get in to see somebody. Um, so I would love to see uh, a group of psychiatrists or a group of uh, mental health professionals who, who would join us and, and help us offer those services to our friends, whether it's virtual or in person. Um, I did meet with the CEO of uh, Care for the Homeless, which is an amazing organization in New York um, that offers health care and does a bunch of different things for um, for folks who are experiencing homelessness through by offering health services. And so I'm excited to see what that could lead to. Um, so in terms of partnership. So I think that just finding the sort of evaluating the needs of our community and then searching for the services that will meet those needs and then trying to invite them along and then build processes by which the referrals can take place. It's, it's, it's a difficult work because you're operating with different organizations and different processes and different systems and different, like even technology that's different. And so that, that don't always line up. So it's, it's not easy, but it's worth it because if you can create those connections, you can create those access points, um, those on ramps, uh, you can help people, uh, you can save lives literally. So mental health is a, is another area I'd love to, to love to grow in. That's great. Um, uh, yeah, you talk about these partner organizations and great commercial. We're going to be, uh, having the privilege to have Richard Vernon, the CEO of Shower Power as a guest on our podcast. So looking forward to that. But, you know, just beyond our partners, people in everyday life, there are many people in everyday life who are compassionate and would love to help, right? Um, and even, and I'll just speak for myself, even having passion for this work and really committed to it, my privilege allows me to not be thinking about it every second because I go home and maybe worry that my shower isn't hot enough or um, my dogs are barking too loud, whatever it is, Um but the reality is that even when some of us aren't thinking about this issue, it actually is impacting us in some way. Um, from your point of view, how does homelessness affect all of us? It's, it's funny. You should you ask that question. I, 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 we just celebrated um, Martin Luther King Day uh, recently. And 
uh, every Martin Luther King Day, uh, I read a letter from a Birmingham jail. Um, it's something I, I started doing um, a couple of years ago. I, I think I heard, was listening to a podcast of someone else who said they did it. I was like, that's a great idea. I'm going to totally steal that. So, And one of the things that he writes in that letter, in that famous letter, is that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Uh, that we are a interconnected society and that just because you don't see necessarily the impacts of, of one particular injustice, that it is, it is affecting you. It is impacting you um, because there are aspects of homelessness that, that impact, um, you know, everybody in terms of, um, you know, walking outside uh, of, of your apartment, getting to your car and having someone, um, you know, hit you up for cash or someone that's, you know, is, is sitting there panhandling because they don't have a place to stay or, um, you know, the, the people like benches, for example. This is something that's crazy. But uh, if you go to public uh, spaces like train stations and um, like New York City just installed this brand new facility uh, adjacent to Penn Station um, and the pushback was immediate. Where are the benches? Where can people sit? Uh, because they didn't put benches in this place because they didn't want homeless people laying on those benches and sleeping. And so they actually design parks and uh, public spaces to keep homeless people away uh, from those spaces and to disincentivize folks who are in the street from accessing those places. And that, that impacts us. Like that's if you're waiting for a train and you want, you need to sit because you're trying to, you, you have an hour long delay or whatever, there's nowhere to sit. And that's not because they don't have the technology. It's because they don't want homeless people in the train station. So there are things that you may not even realize uh, around you in terms of how architecture is designed uh, that impacts you, that negatively impacts you, that is designed in such a way because they're trying to keep homeless people away. Um, instead of, I might add, addressing the issue itself and actually trying to help those homeless people. I would say the involvement of and the proximity of police access. I, I think that there are lots of times where police are distracted from, you know, looking for criminals and violent offenders because they're being called to uh, investigate and interrogate the homeless guy who happened to wander down a street that uh, was unfamiliar to him and someone called the cops on that guy instead of like working with, um, you know, trying to find a criminal who actually created, you know, committed a violent crime. So everything is, is interconnected. Um, and if you, if you pull on the string in one area, it's pulling on the string in another. And so um, we have an obligation, I think, uh, not just for for compat like not even if you're compassionate like i think it's funny because sometimes people you know like there's a lot of arguments you know if someone tries to build a shelter in a specific area they complain oh why are you putting these shelters in our area uh you know why do why do we have we don't want these people in our in our town in our area um and you're just encouraging them um i i think it's funny because homeless advocates and, and myself included would say we all agree even the people who just don't like homeless people and don't want them around they are in fierce agreement with advocates like myself who say that yes, they they don't want to be there either. They don't. They want to. They want to have a house of their own. They want to have an apartment of their own. Like we want them to not have to be homeless. Like 
advocates for homeless services and advocates for public bathrooms and advocates for uh, benches that are available for people to sit down on are not are not just because we want homeless people to be able to lay down on our bench. It's because we want to be able to help people get off the street. And anytime you invest in one area, that's a money that you could be allocating for something else. And so I firmly believe that we have an obligation as a society to invest uh, and put our money where our mouth is to help alleviate homelessness, not just criminalize and uh, disincentivize homeless people from being in our general area. Um, so just a couple things that come up, come to mind is uh, based on your question. There's, it, it impacts all of us. It really does. So just I, I'm thinking, all right, so from a person who's just listening to the podcast and you're sharing all of these ways, right, and I'm, I'm seeing it, how the impact of homelessness isn't just the person who's struggling with it, but it's going beyond that. It's touching all of us, right? Um, and I'm a person who's genuinely like not, it's not like I don't care. It's not like I don't see it, right? But I'm like, I don't know what to do. It seems like such a huge um, a huge struggle and a huge thing. And I feel like I can't make a huge difference. Right. And I think some, so often people feel like if I can't do a big thing, right. Then I just don't do anything. Right. What would you say to just like the everyday person who's listening and saying, okay, what is one thing that you could do to make an impact towards ending homelessness? The first thing I would do is I, I would encourage everyone to, to find areas of interest to them that overlap. So, for example, I, I don't. I think a lot of times when we think about homelessness, we think about what I can do. We immediately go to um, things like like giving people food or giving people money uh, or trying to you know get someone transported from point A to point B or or whatever it is. I would encourage us to or the average listener to think about what what fascinates you, what interests you. And then see if there are any overlapping ways that your interests can be leveraged to address uh, homelessness by supporting organizations like City Relief or one that's maybe in your area. So, for example, one of my, I'm going to I'm going to butcher the quote, but one of my favorite quotes, um, and it's I've used it so many times, it's sad that I don't have it memorized word for word. But it's, it's um, basically the quote is something to the effect of "Your calling is where." The world's deep hunger and your deep gladness meet. And this idea that if you try to do something to help homeless folks that is completely antithetical to your interests and your passions, it won't stick. It won't last. You won't keep doing it. You'll do it once, you'll do it twice, but then, you know, you might walk away patting yourself in the back or, you know, oh, I did this thing. But it's it's not going to last because it doesn't fit within your passion or what your deep gladness. And so I would say, think about what interests you. That one of the, the the problems with homelessness, like you mentioned, Sydney, I think it's a great point. Is the issue is so huge that we think, oh, there's nothing I can do to make a sub substantive difference. I'd like to. I'll flip that. The, the issue is so huge that means there's always something that anyone can do to make a substantive difference because the issue is so huge. There is areas of involvement and areas of impact that we can all contribute to. So, um, for example, like another another example, I think is from Martin Luther King. I'm, apparently, I'm just stuck on that guy this week. Um, but the idea of you know going upstream, like we we like I described city relief, like we're pulling people out of the water, so to speak, 
uh, metaphorically speaking, like when they're already in the street, they're already experiencing homelessness, they're already at that crisis point. We are there to try to help them get out of that situation. The reality is, though, is that person fell into homelessness probably about three miles up. There, there were issues, systemic issues. There were problems and challenges that person had, um, educational issues that people dealt with that were significant, that happened years before potentially we meet them. So there is also a preventative aspect of homelessness that we can all contribute to. So um, maybe you don't even feel called to serve in the street, but you maybe can like tutor kids after school somewhere, or you can like volunteer as a big brother or big sister, or you can find a way to uh, be an ally to you know, a group of people in your neighborhood who are struggling. Maybe there's someone in your neighborhood who hasn't made their mortgage or paid their bills recently, and you can in a dignifying way and an honoring way, find out if you can help them in some way so they can keep their home. Or um, maybe you're a lawyer and you can uh, address, you know, help them connect to a, your specialty may not be, maybe it's corporate law, maybe it's real estate law, but maybe there's someone that you know who works in eviction law and you can actually provide that service to somebody who's helped, who's going through that, that trauma. So there's so many different things that we can do um, to address homelessness that each individual um, can really make a huge impact. The problem is, and the city, this is just my whole, my whole thing, is that the problem is there's so many people who have so much to offer, but who are being like told by the media or being told by their parents or being told by somebody near them that they can't make a difference. And so that cynicism of you, what, what possible difference can I make? That's a lie. It's a complete and utter lie, but it's something that so many people buy into and that keeps people sort of on the bench, right? And the fact is, is that we need people in the game. We need people actually, you know, taking a shot. Uh, so whatever it is you're doing, like on a day-to-day basis, you do not have to make this uh, work your life's work. You, you can contribute. You can dabble. You can, you can do something. Everyone can do something. We, we can't do everything to help everyone, but everyone can do something to help someone. I believe that um, with all my heart. Uh, that's great. Um, I love, I love the quote, Josiah. Um, and a similar quote that I've used is uh, people help where, where their passion meets the world's need. And mm. so you may not even know where your passion or your gladness lies in relation to this, um, but a lot of people who have volunteered with City Release specifically or other organizations like us have discovered their passion or their gladness and think this is how I can, volunteering itself is, um, is helping. But it's also increasing our understanding of who we are and how we want to be part of the solution. So thank you for that. Absolutely. Well, it's great to have you, Josiah, and we would love to have you back again sometime. Thanks again, Josiah. Hey, you. Yes, you, listener. Have you ever been walking down the street and someone who appeared unhoused approached you and asked for money? Do you ever walk to the train in the morning and see someone holding a sign asking for help? What do you do? Well, don't worry. We are here to help. Click the link in the description of this episode for a quick, easy to use guide packed with helpful tips for how to engage with your neighbors experiencing homelessness.